Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hello, and thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have you back for another episode. Real quickly, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to the show on, and also be sure to share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. Today, you are going to hear my conversation with Kim Casey Campbell, who is just amazing and someone who has had an incredible military career, and she continues to move the ball beyond the uniform. Kim is a retired Air Force colonel who served for over 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. She has flown over 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, more than 100 combat missions, and in 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for Heroism after successfully recovering her battle-damaged airplane after an intense close-air support mission. So, as you can see, she's pretty awesome. On this episode, you're going to hear Kim share what her experience was like at the Air Force Academy and being the only female pilot in her squadron, how she put an incredible amount of pressure on herself, some challenges being a senior military leader, adopting the fighter pilot's mindset, and more. This is a conversation I know you will get so much out of. You ready? Let's go. Kim, it's great to have you on the show and inside the huddle with us. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, we've been talking for a while about having you come on the podcast, and there's so many reasons why I'm excited to have you here. For one, you've had a great military career. Like me, you've served as a senior military officer. You are a female fighter pilot. You're a fellow author and speaker, and the list goes on and on. So I'm really excited. But before we get into our chat, my first question for you is, are you ready to move the ball? Absolutely. Let's move the ball. All right, let's go. So like you, I'm always keeping things moving. And from a business standpoint, one of the areas that I've been known for is being a branding expert. I help companies and corporate execs package and position their brand and also the company's products to achieve whatever outcomes they're looking to achieve. And I bring this up because I'm always constantly watching other companies and other individuals and their brands. And yep, I'm watching you too, Kim. And I see your content all the time on LinkedIn. And I mean, I, I love it. I think the things that you put out, you're just doing a great job connecting with your audience and putting out relevant content. And so I would say that you're not just moving the ball, Kim, you're also dominating the game. And so let's talk about brands for a minute. The first thing I want to ask you about is your call sign, Killer Chick. How did you get that name? <laughs> That's a great question. So every fighter pilot gets a call sign and it happens after you are deemed combat mission ready. So it's a bit of a rite of passage, meaning that you have hit the point where they are ready and willing to take you with them to combat. And it's always a fun time. I mean, it is a celebratory night and they tell stories about you. You're not actually in the room when you get your call sign. But I remember coming back into the room on a Friday night 
And keep in mind, I was the only female fighter pilot in my squadron. I was the only A-10 pilot that was a woman in the unit. And so I walked back into lots of cheers and they said that my call sign is now KC. And I was like, well, that's really exciting. That's my initials. And they said, no, it stands for killer chick. And what did you think when they said that to you? I actually thought it was very fitting. It was just, I felt like it was very much a compliment to me being part of the team and part of the unit. And I really felt like they had welcomed me in, like I had proved my credibility and capability. And now I was truly a member of the 75th Fighter Squadron. Well, I love it because it's kind of got like a female badass vibe to it too. And so I think it's a great call sign to have. And you mentioned being the only female fighter pilot in your squadron. And what was that like for you? How did it feel? I mean, throughout my career, I've I'm serving in the military, but also just through my corporate career, I've worked in a lot of male dominated industries. And oftentimes I'm one of the few, if not the only female that's on the team. And so how was that like for you? Did you feel extra pressure to prove yourself being a woman? Yes, absolutely. For me walking in on day one, I mean, I knew going in that I was going to be the only woman. And I personally put a lot of pressure on myself. I felt like if I made a mistake or if I failed in some way that I would ruin it for all the women that followed me. And I mean, that is just a ton of pressure. I think the positive side of that pressure is that I worked really, really hard. I wanted to prove that I was credible, that I was capable, that I belong there. And the reality is that once I proved that I was credible and capable in the airplane, like the rest of the pilots in my squadron, they didn't really care about my gender. They just wanted to be able to know that they could fly with me and count on me. Our jet doesn't know the difference, and no jet does, but the fact is that I, it's pressure that I put on myself, and I see the positive of that, but I also realize that is a lot of pressure for one person to just think that whatever they do has the potential to ruin it for other people that follow them. So it was hard. It was a lot of work, but I absolutely loved my experience. I love the pilots in my squadron became my brothers. They looked out for me, and I looked out for them, and we knew we would do anything for each other. And you mentioned how this was a lot of pressure to put on yourselves. I mean, mentally, that can just weigh on you. What are some of the things or how did you deal with that mental weight and continue to push through? Because I mean, not every day is going to be a great day, right? And so I'm sure there were some days where you were not feeling like it was the best day. And how do you kind of keep going forward when you're feeling these kinds of emotions? You know, that's such a great question. And it's something that I have learned early in my career, but I also feel like I continue to learn throughout my career because the reality is we make mistakes, right? And I did make mistakes. You can't go through a perfect mission. But the important thing was learning from them and not doing it again. And part of the thing that the instructors were always looking for was, okay, they know you're going to make mistakes, but can you get back up again? Can you continue on with the mission and let those mistakes go? Because you know, if you hold them in and you continue to make mistakes, things just get worse. So you have to be able to acknowledge the mistake, learn from it, don't do it again but then let it go. And that's really the important thing is, can you learn from it? Can you move on? And that's just something that I think takes time, you know, acknowledging that we will make mistakes. How do we learn from it? Can we debrief it? Learn what the root cause of that mistake was? What can we learn from it? And what will we do differently the next time? Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it because none of us are perfect. We are all going to make mistakes, but it's important to not repeat those. So it's assessing the situation, understanding the root cause, what happened. How do you not encounter that same type of situation again? And if you do, what are you going to do differently so that you don't repeat the mistake? Absolutely. 
So you've had a great military career. You retired as a colonel. You were in the Air Force for over 24 years. You've flown 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog. You've flown over 100 combat missions, done some amazing things. I'm going to take us back to what made you decide to serve? I know that you had a dad that also was serving, but I mean, less than 1% of Americans make the decision to serve. And so what was your motivation to do that? And why aviation? Again, I know you had another influence through your dad, but why did you want to serve? It actually dates back to when I was in fifth grade. So 10 years old in 1986. And this was actually watching the launch of the space shuttle Challenger. And there was something in that moment watching the launch. Obviously, there was the excitement and the thrill of when the shuttle launched, but then watching really the tragedy that played out in front of all of us. There was something in that moment that I connected with in some way, just knowing that those astronauts died doing something that they believed in, something that was big and important, bigger than themselves. And so I decided at fifth grade at 10 years old that I wanted to be an astronaut someday. And because my dad had spent some time in the Air Force, he was aware of the backgrounds. And he said, you know, Kim, if you want to be an astronaut, many of those astronauts were pilots. Many of them went to the Air Force Academy. It's something you might consider. I honestly don't think that my dad had any idea that I would follow through with that. It just wasn't my demeanor and interest at the time. But I committed at that point. It was like a switch flipped for me. And I decided that I was going to the Air Force Academy. I was going to become a fighter pilot in 1986 when women weren't allowed to be fighter pilots. And then ideally someday to go on to become an astronaut. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm going to share something that my audience doesn't know either. In 1986, I also, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I did not plan on being an astronaut, but I did want to be a fighter pilot. And it wasn't because of Top Gun, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you watch Top Gun. No, I actually watched another series. It was the Iron Eagle series, which was about an Air Force fighter pilot or about a kid whose dad was a pilot and he stole a jet to go over and, and free his dad and stuff. But I like, I fell in love with aviation at a young age. So something that you and I have in common is we both had an interest in flying. Then I, for other reasons, I ended up not going there. I had kids at a young age and my career path kind of went a different way. But in 1986, I also wanted to be a fighter pilot. That's a small world. And it's, I think it just goes to show you the different influences that you can have in your life, the different impact that people can make, like at any point through many different things, we have the ability to influence people and in terms of their career and the path that their life will take. Oh, for sure. So you went to the Air Force Academy. What was that experience like for you? What are some of the things you really enjoyed about being at the Academy? You know, it's funny. I think most people think of the Air Force Academy and they probably look back on it as like better to be done than to be going through it because it is challenging and it is hard. And it took a lot to try to figure out time management and trying to do so many different things. I think the one thing, if I were to pick one thing to take away from the positive, it really was that sense of camaraderie, the teamwork aspect of really meeting some people that impacted my life in such a positive way, knowing that we were going to survive these hard things together. We were going to get through them together. I think that sense of teamwork and camaraderie, the wingman culture that we learned very early in our career to support each other, encourage each other, and push each other to be at our absolute best. That is just something that I have taken with me from that time and on. 
So, Kim, you've been a senior military leader for part of your career, and I'm sure throughout the years in the Air Force, you've come across some great military leaders who have shown you kind of what's expected when you're at that leadership level. And when you look back on your career, what are some of the challenges that you faced being a senior military leader? I think probably the biggest challenge is really what happens when you are at that senior level and responsible now instead of a handful of people to hundreds of people to thousands of people. And how do you maintain that same level of leadership? And for me, the connection with your team. And I think that's one of the things that I found challenging is that I really found that as a leader, I love the opportunity to connect with my team, to get to know them, to let them teach me about what they do, to have them show me what they do and how they contribute to the organization and really understanding that for each member of the team. I really enjoyed getting to know my young airmen, just walking around and talking to them and seeing them in their workspaces. That became a lot trickier as I became a senior military leader and responsible for a thousand people throughout South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. You know, now we're doing different missions. We're spread across multiple locations and time zones. And that level of leadership, I found this comfort level in wanting to go back to where I was. And what I found is I had to really make sure that I trusted the leaders below me and empower them to make decisions and kind of take ownership of their units. And sometimes that's easier said than done to, you know, take a step back and try to spend more time on that bigger picture. I really still tried to make those connections and build that trust, but I also had to trust my lower level leaders to do their job and do it well, to empower them, to make sure they had the resources and the skills they need. But there's something about leading at that higher level where you do have to take a step back, look at the bigger picture, look strategically, and let your team take care of the tactics. And as you know, I mean, sometimes things don't go as planned, whether that's in life, just in general, or when you're executing a military mission. And something that you talk about a lot is the fighter pilot mindset and how you use that to be able to elevate your performance across the team. Can you share with us a little bit more about what are some of those things that make up that fighter pilot mindset? Well, I think you touched on one of them in terms of being able to respond when things don't go as planned. I think as fighter pilots, specifically as A-10 pilots, our primary mission is to support the troops on the ground. And I guarantee you the one thing that is consistent from all of our missions is that things do not go as planned. We'll have this solid course of action. We'll have a plan in place. And then something happens that requires us to adjust and make changes. And having that fighter pilot mindset means being able to adjust, to adapt, to overcome in those difficult situations when things aren't going as planned. So that is definitely part of it. The other key piece, and we've touched on this a little bit already, is the ability to learn from our mistakes. I think in our mind, we would love to have a perfect mission. We would love to fly that perfect flight, but it's not realistic. We do make mistakes. We have errors. And the key is we need to look at them, learn from them, and be able to improve on each iteration. So it is about doing better each time, constantly raising that level of performance, knowing that you will make mistakes, that you will fail along the way, but then having the mindset that you can learn from them. Those are probably two of the biggest things that bring about that fighter pilot mindset. 
And I like how you talk about the continuing to improve, because I think that's important. As high performers, we're always looking at how do we get better? How do we continue to grow and to improve? It's not about reaching a certain skill set or level and saying, okay, I'm good with that. And not looking at how you can continue to get better and increase your competencies and your skills so that the next time around, you are performing at a higher level as well. When you look back at your career, what are some of the experiences that really were learning moments for you that helped you to grow as a leader and as a pilot? You know, I think back to my final role in the Air Force, which was as the director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development. It's a role I almost didn't have. I was getting ready to retire from the Air Force. I was about 10 days from my final out-processing appointment, and I got asked to stay for another year to take on this job as the director. It was probably the one job in my in the entire Air Force that I could not turn down because to me, it was so important to be able to help lead this next generation of leaders at the Air Force Academy. But the thing about that job is I learned so much about myself as a leader in that role. I had this team of experts. We're talking PhDs that are passionate about leadership and character development. And I think sometimes I'm at the peak of my Air Force career. I'm getting ready to retire. And that one year really helped me reflect on my career in the Air Force, but also such a solid reminder that as leaders, it doesn't matter what position we're in. We could be a mid-level manager, we can be the CEO, but at every level, we have to continuously strive to improve, to grow, to learn from others, know that we don't have all the answers and that we can constantly learn from others if we have that open mind. That was probably one of my roles and responsibilities where I learn the most about myself. And it's a job I almost didn't have. So what an incredible opportunity to close out my career that way. And I like how you talk about recognizing and knowing that we don't have all the answers because it while we like to think that we are intelligent individuals, we don't have all the answers. And so it's important to keep that open mindset and looking to the other experts in the room, whether that's a virtual room or a physical room, to help us to continue to increase our competencies and to get whatever task it is we're trying to get done, leveraging the capabilities of the team as a whole versus the feeling like we need to do it all on our own. Absolutely. And I think it's a balance of having confidence as a leader, but also being willing and able to set your ego aside to learn from others. I think there is something about seeking out subject matter experts on your team, asking your team for ideas. I think some of the most innovative and creative ideas to problems have come from some of the lower levels of my team. Some of our youngest airmen, they're out there doing the job, doing the work. And so they have these amazingly creative and innovative ideas, but we won't find out unless we listen to them, unless we ask for their ideas. And so I think that's critically important that we seek out those other opinions and ideas. And I think that allows for greater creativity and innovation on a team. I like that you talked about checking our egos or putting our egos aside, because I feel like when you have the courage to be vulnerable and say, I don't know all these answers and I want to get other people's expertise, no matter what level they're at at the organization, a couple of things happen. One, you're creating the possibility for more innovative solutions, like you just mentioned, but also that helps to build trust within the organization too, because the individuals see you as the senior leader saying, hey, I don't have all the answers, guys, and I don't know them. And you are the experts and I value your expertise and your experience. So please bring your ideas forward as well. Absolutely. And you just hit on what I am so passionate about, and that is 
creating that trust and connection. And part of that is being vulnerable as a leader to have the courage to be vulnerable, to ask people for their ideas, to admit that you don't have all the answers. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it really does create that trust and connection that you talk about. And something I tell people too is asking for help or showing that you don't have all the answers or that you don't know everything is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength to be able to do that. And so I'd encourage those listening, if you need help or if you don't have the answers, have the courage to raise your hand, to ask the questions, to get the resources that you need to be able to move the ball and get whatever done that you're looking to achieve. It is absolutely a sign of strength. I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about your transition out of the service. So the time has come. You've decided that you're going to retire after 24 years of service. What was that transition like for you? You know, I think the important thing and the advice that I give to many military veterans who are transitioning is that to take the time to really think through what is important to you. I think One of the things that is hard about leaving the military is for 24 years, that is what I did every day. I put on a uniform. It was my sense of identity and purpose and passion, really. And to walk away from that, you know, there's a part of me that misses it. I still do. I miss the people. I miss the camaraderie. But I also look back, you know, I'm thankful for this next chapter and I realize how many lessons I learned. And I think that is really the important thing is is taking away those lessons that we learned and then applying them to this next chapter. I had some time to think about it. I will tell you that now in this next phase of my life, I have two boys that are 11 and 15, and I am so grateful to be able to spend more time with them while also doing something that I'm passionate about, while also feeling like I am serving just in a different way today, but by sharing those stories and lessons learned with others. And I have a number of people who listen to the show who are still serving or who have recently made that transition to civilian life. If they're still in the service, what are some things that they should be doing aside from going through this activity and gaining clarity on what it is that they want to do? What other things should they be doing to help position themselves for a smooth transition? Well, I think it's important to start building your network and looking at opportunities outside the traditional role. I think sometimes we kind of fall into the easy path. Well, that's what I did in the service. And so I'll just continue that in the civilian world. And that is totally okay. But really questioning if that is our passion, if that's our purpose, if there's something else that we might feel called to do. And then building connections and seeking out those experts, finding people that are out there doing that and just being bold enough and courageous enough to reach out and ask for that connection and ask for time to talk with people. I love when people will reach out to me and to have some of those conversations. I realized how important they were for me and how willing people were to do that for me. And so I'm willing to do the same for them. But it does take courage to reach out and try something new. But building connections is really important. Yeah, I completely agree. And I sit on a board at USC at University of Southern California. They have a fantastic program. It's an MBA-like curriculum for veterans and service members called Masters of Business for Veterans. And that's one of the things we talk to them about is as they're looking to transition, to start building that network and connecting with people And oftentimes, like they feel like, well, I don't want to waste someone's time because I'm not sure what I want to do yet. And it's okay to put yourself out there and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out what's next for me. I'd love to have a conversation and pick your brain and get your perspectives. And a lot of people love to feel like they're being helpful for others. So if you position it that way, your responses are probably going to be a lot more significant because people like to share and be 
helpful. And especially as a service member, if you mention that you're trying to figure out what's next after you're transitioning out of the service, people, again, will be very welcoming and responsive and try to help you. It is so true. I sit on the board for the Special Operators Transition Foundation. And I think one of the things that I see from our transitioning special operators is we've done things a certain way for a very long time, and we tend to undersell ourselves in the things that we've done. And it is all about how can you translate that to the civilian world? How can you translate what you've done in the military in a way that people will understand? And so in addition to building those connections and creating that network, it's also about looking at our our own qualities and, and what does that look like in the outside world and how can we best share that with others and really practicing those conversations about what we did, what we want to do, what we're passionate about, making an effort to put some time and effort into that is critical. Well, I like how you talk about practicing the conversations too. And that's, I think, is a good tip because the more you do something, we know that the more reps you get in, the better you tend to be at. And so the more you can practice those conversations, then you'll sound better when you're continuing to connect with people and make the ask. And I think that's a great thing that people should take away is make sure that you're practicing. And this isn't just for someone that's in the service, no matter who you are, right? Like if you're looking to build connections and you want to make an ask from someone at some point, then and and increase your network and practice doing it because the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Which is, I feel like the story of my Air Force career is practicing for those tough situations. I mean, I look back on so many moments during my career when there were things that felt stressful or uncertain, like this unknown out there. I realized that the more that I prepared, the more that I practiced for them, the more that I thought about the potential contingencies that could happen the better I felt going into those situations. And I think that's something that we can all fall back on is we know that preparation and practice and training will give us some confidence in those situations. So it's a great, well, it's a great technique for anyone going into a stressful situation, but certainly critical in that military transition role as well. And you made me think about, I mean, I work with a lot of professional athletes, mostly in the NFL space. And something that we always talk about is that if you always stay ready, then you never have to get ready. And so the same thing comes with doing these reps and preparing. The more prepared you are and the ready, if you're ready for any conversation, then when they actually happen, then you're going to do great at it because you've done that preparation. And I have a 14-year-old daughter. I have five kids. So she's the second youngest, but I always am telling her what's the word of the day. And she's like, preparation. And I know she's so tired of me saying that, but I'm (laughs) just like, it's going to click one day. I know it is. And you'll be like, I'm so glad that my mom told me to do that. Yeah. We have similar conversations in our house as well. And you know, just there's something about preparation. The more you prepare the more competent you become. And then there's confidence that goes with it, which is so important. Oh, absolutely. So you recently wrote a book titled Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. Tell me a little bit more about why did you decide to write it? It was released earlier this year. Why did you decide that you wanted to write a book? Uh, you know, I didn't, I never had author on my list of things to do. It just, it, I, part of it just kind of happened. I was teaching at the Air Force Academy And one of the other instructors who has written a few books sat in on my class and I love to tell stories and share lessons. I felt like our our young cadets certainly listened more when there was a fun story uh, to go with it. And we walked out of the class. He said, you know, Kim, you should really write a book. You got to put those stories and the lessons into a book so that other people can hear them too. And I thought, you know what? There's no way I could, there's no way I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. 
And he said, no, I'm serious. I'll take your first chapter in December, which is when the cadets were away on break. And I started thinking about it. And I realized that the number of people throughout my life who were willing to share their stories with me, who are willing to be vulnerable and put those things out there to share their stories, the the good, the bad, the mistakes, the failures, the successes, you know, those stories and the lessons learned really helped me. And so I I started to feel almost a responsibility of sharing these things and in some way. And I really felt passionate about that. So I, I decided, well, all right, I'll I'll turn the first chapter in and then the next. And before you knew it, I had a book. And then I realized that I had to publish it. You know, I had to have the courage to publish it. And I occasionally joke with my husband that I would have the courage to write the book, but not publish it. And he would just kind of laugh me off because he knew I had to take my own advice because the reality was, is that there was some fear and doubt in publishing it and putting it all out there. But the whole point is, it is what we do when we are scared that matters the most. And so I decided to put the book out there and the response has just been overwhelming. I just, it's been such a wonderful experience to see the number of people that have reached out that said they have learned in some way from the stories and the lessons learned that I've shared. Oh, that's fantastic. And you talk about sharing stories. Like I, I come across so many people that will tell me about how they want to write a book. And I've written a couple books, so I know how much work goes into writing a book as well. But people will tell me about how they have these stories, but they don't know if they want to write something because who's going to read it? Like they don't feel like their story is important enough that anyone would want to read it. And what I tell people is you're going to connect with the right people. So have the courage to share the stories and your tribe will find you when you put those stories out there. Like every book isn't for everybody, but your stories will connect with the right people. And so I think it's great that you put your stories out there. Let's talk about the title because naming a book is a very important (laughs) part of it, right? So tell us about how you came up with the name. You know, I have to admit, I there was some doubt about using the word fear in the title because I I had people say that people get nervous when they hear the word fear. Like they think like all of a sudden it's going to make them look weak or, you know, vulnerable in some way. And I thought, you know, that's the point. The point is about flying in the face of fear. It's standing up in the face of fear. It is the admitting that we're scared and doing it anyway. That's how I came into the name. But the other side of that is how do we lead with courage? You know, how do we have the courage to do those hard things, to make decisions when we don't have perfect information, to get up and do something when it's hard, to have the tough conversations, to, you know, face times of change that takes courage. And so that's what it is about. It is about facing these fears and doubts and worries, fear of not meeting expectations, fear of change, fear of the unknown, you know, all those things can be daunting and stressful. And it is really what we do in those moments that matters the most. I love it. As you were writing the book, what was your favorite chapter to write? And what was the one that was the hardest for you? Gosh, that's a really good question. I think, oh, I don't know. It was such a journey to go back. I think some of the early chapters where I talked, just my time leading up to the Air Force Academy all the trials and tribulations I went to go through and did a lot of research looking at some old letters that I had written. I mean, like handwritten letters that that I had written to my parents and really that captured my mood and my thinking at the time. And it was such a walk back in life to think about what I was thinking and feeling at that time that I really enjoyed some of those earlier chapters. Um, I think in terms of the hardest chapters to write were probably some of the more vulnerable. And when I share, there's a chapter about, well, we'll call it work-life bounce for ease right now, but it is about 
the struggles that my husband and I had and the struggles that I had as a woman, those were hard because they did feel very vulnerable. The positive side of that coming out is some of these amazing friends that I had and some of the guys in my fighter squadron reached out after the book and they said, Kim, we feel like we really knew you, but we had no idea some of the things that you experienced and were going through. So as hard as they were to write, as vulnerable as they felt to write, I think it's important sometimes to share those stories, to help others, to make others aware of some of the difficulties that we face. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. And it's so important to share these stories with your audience because even people that thought they knew you, right? Like they still learn so much more from you. And there's so much value to be given to people that get to read your stories and they can learn and how they can take and apply the lessons that you've learned to be able to navigate through whatever challenges they might be going through. Absolutely. And at the end of each chapter, there is a section that I called considerations for leaders. And the intent is to not say this is the right way or this is the only way. It's just that. It's considerations. It's something that you might consider yourself as a leader, whether you're leading a large team or your family or yourself, things for you to think about. And maybe just hearing something from a slightly different perspective or in a new way will help give you that spark that you need. And so let people know, where is your book available? I know it's on Amazon, but where can people get it? It is. It can be ordered from any local bookseller as well, but it is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. Perfect. And we'll have links in our show notes so people can check out your book. And again, I think you've done a fantastic job with it. And there's so many great lessons for people to learn from your stories. So Kim, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have some fun with my questions from the two minute drill. We'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record, or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy to implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back. Kim, are you ready for these fun questions? I am ready. All right. First question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? This is such a hard question, and I know I'm supposed to be fast. So humble, approachable, credible. It's a motto we use. I like it. Great three words. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? I got rejected from the Air Force Academy on my first attempt at applying and got a very late offer of appointment. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Would you rather be the world champion of a sport or the CEO of a billion-dollar company, and why? I think I would rather be the CEO of a company, and it doesn't even have to be a billion-dollar company, although that would be nice. I think for me, I'm I'm very passionate about leadership, and I think there's so much we can learn from being leaders of teams, I think that would be something that would just be really incredible to experience. Yeah, for sure. All right. The next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm just finishing Wisdom of the Bullfrog by Admiral McRaven, and it's great short stories about his experience and time in service, but some really solid lessons about connecting with people 
and making sure you really know what's going on with your team through connection and trust. It's definitely on my list. I have a long list of books that I want to get through and so his is, <laughs> his is on there. The next question is, if you could have any song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? I'm going to have to go with Thunderstruck by ACDC. And it's okay. actually because this was the song that was our song as cadets with the class of 1997 at the Air Force Academy. And so it really has good meaning of like listening to that song during some really hard times, but making it through it. So just a reminder for me. I gotcha. It's it's a good song choice. Next (laughs) question is, what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed? Oh, for sure. I would be that astronaut that I've always dreamed of being. Oh yeah, that would be fun. I'll just tell a quick story. I have a picture. I used to get to fly and sit jump seat in C-17s. And I have this picture with me with this helmet on. And I showed the picture to my daughter and she was like, well, what were you, an astronaut? And I was like, no, no, I was not. But uh, So that, that's probably as close as I will be to an astronaut. But I look forward to seeing you on that journey. That would be fun. The next question is, you have 24 hours in a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going? I think I would love to stop at multiple locations around the world. This is a hard question for me because I love to travel and I would definitely have to plot out on a map all the places and that I have not been. But I think Antarctica would be on the top of the list because I've never been there. Totally different than anywhere else I've been. There are so many places that I would love to go. Oh, well, Antarctica sounds like a really cool place to check out. But cold. There would have to be like on the other side of that, like a trip to Fiji to have one of those cool over the water bungalows. Yes, definitely to balance it out. Yes. <laughs> all right, Kim. So the bonus question is M&M's, plain or peanut? Oh, you're, this is, I don't like chocolate. I know. (gasps) I know. (laughs) All right. So share with us, what is your go-to sweet? So this is the thing. I don't like sweets, but give me cheese fries, chicken wings, nachos. I'm all in. Very good to know. So as we look to close our show, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? Well, I would say, you know, we've touched on some of this, but I think how important it is like throughout our careers, we are going to face difficult situations. We are going to face moments of doubt or fear or worry about what's to come or how we're performing. And that fear, that stress, that worry, I think that's normal. And we need to come to grips with that and just recognize that that is a normal reaction. But then we have to take that next step. We have to be willing to get up and do things when they're hard, to do things when we feel scared, to do the things because it's the right thing to do. It is all about what we do in those moments that matters the most. Oh, I like that. Very powerful word. So something else I want to ask you about. Well, two things. One, in your book, in your dedication, you say, for my boys, Colin and Brody, who continue to teach me lessons about courage every day, what would you share with them about the things that they have taught you on your journey and being their mom? You know, I think as a parent, my kids continue to teach me the value of patience, (laughs) especially with a teenager. But I also realize how important it is to be fully present with them. And I think that's one thing that I realize is that when we are together and again, when they're, when they want to sit and talk and being fully present with them. And then the last thing I will say is that my young son, who was three at the time when this happened, he's now 15 in the middle of my change of command ceremony, he got up and sat in my lap, as you know, not proper military protocol, not what anybody would be expecting in a change of command ceremony. But that one moment from my young son taught me the importance of being authentic and true to who we are. 
I think there was a moment of being worried about what people would think. And then I just had this moment of realization that it is so important for us to just be authentic, be true to who we are, let other people see us for who we are. And my three-year-old son taught me that. Well, I love that you bring that up because people will ask me, so I've been on this entrepreneurship journey for four years now, and people will ask from the corporate world, because I mean, all of my corporate experience was big Fortune 50 companies, and they'd be like, well, what's it like you working for yourself and being an entrepreneur? And there's lots of things that go into that answer. But there's one thing that I like to share with people is the freedom to be who you are and don't feel like you have to like hide that. When I was in senior leadership in Fortune 50, you always had to be on and you couldn't be, or I couldn't be Jen Garrett, the mom. It was Jen Garrett, senior leader. And you never showed that you were struggling or that you had something that you were trying to deal with outside of work because then that made you appear weak, right? And then if you showed some of those things, then you had to worry about my upward mobility in terms of climbing the ladder. And so now it's like, I can be who I want to be and showcase all of who I am. And if that doesn't resonate with somebody, that is okay, because this is who I am. And I'm comfortable with being the person that I am, my authentic self. And like I said earlier, like the people that are meant to be in your circle, they will be there, right? And that's not for everyone. Like you're going to do the things that you're going to do in your career with some people and without others. And that's okay. Yes, that's so true. And I think it took me a while to really feel comfortable in my own skin and being who I was and letting people see me for being that mom, the wife, the leader, and the fighter pilot, like all of those things. That's some of the advice that I have for our younger leaders and our younger generation is you know, to really step into who you are and be confident in it. But I know it took me some time to get there as well. And I think as a society, like culturally now, it's more accepted as well. Whereas 10, 20 years ago, people did not appreciate people being their authentic selves. They wanted you to fit into a certain role and that's how you needed to be or else you weren't meant to continue to be a senior leader because you didn't fit that particular mold. So it's great to see how cultures have changed and what's accepted has changed in more recent times. Yeah. And I I often wonder if COVID and the pandemic and being at home, working at home and letting people kind of step into our world helped us with that. You know, I think the number of times we've seen kids come in or dogs and cats, and I think it just opens people's minds a little bit to who we are and they kind of get to see who we are at home. And I, I think if there's something positive that came out of that, maybe it was it. Yes, I definitely agree with that. So Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. Let people know where can they follow you? Where can they keep up with you? Where can they book you as a speaker if they're looking to have you come into an organization and talk about leadership and pushing through fear and having courage? Where are you at? The easiest place to find me is at my website, which then has links to everything, including email and social media channels. But it is www.kim-kc-campbell.com. Same on LinkedIn. You can reach me there. And I would love for you to reach out. If you had questions that maybe we didn't talk about, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn is a great place to do it or send me an email through my website. Lots of opportunities to connect. Perfect. And we will have your website and some other social links, links to your book as well in our show notes. So people can check out your book and can connect with you. Thank you so much, Kim, for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends, too. 
Next, I want you to go to getinsidethehuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.